0: Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roni and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have my co host, Gina Warfel, with me and a very special guest, Dr. Uma Naidu. Welcome, Doc. We are so lucky to have you on the podcast. Thanks
1: so much, Shanique. And, you know, it's awesome to be
0: here. Dr. Uma Naidu has a book called This Is Your Brain on Food. She is considered a triple threat in the health world because not only is she a doctor, a psychiatrist, but you're also a chef. Is that correct? You're a chef and a nutritionist. You have the perfect, most rounded credentials and skill set that I personally think is like the most important on the planet right now because of our mental illness issues and our mental health issues that are just rampant. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into psychiatry and nutrition and cooking and what you are seeing in the world today as far as mental health goes?
1: Um, well, thank you for that kind introduction, Janique. I, um, let's start with your last question first. I feel like what COVID did is it did many things, and it uncapped the underlying crisis that we've had in mental health for some time yes. and brought those statistics forward. And we know that people are suffering more during COVID. Two-fifths of Americans in a recent study are actually suffering with sleep issues. Depression and anxieties markedly increased. Substance abuse is on the rise as with other things. So it's unkept and brought forward those issues. But also it uncapped our metabolic health in this country, mm-hmm. with at least 88% of Americans shown in research to have some abnormal metabolic factor. And we know that those who died and those who suffered worse side effects uh, and, and recovered from COVID really did so with a lot of pre-existing Conditions. One of them being or being overweight or having obesity and struggles with comorbid med- medical conditions. Mm-hmm. So I think the message becomes that mental health and metabolic health are actually entwined mm-hmm. because we are understanding more and more that inflammation is the basis of so many conditions, including yes. in mental health. Yes. So that that I think really brings that front and center for us. In terms of my own background. I really came to this largely based on my family and cultural background. I spent a lot of time really being around healthy eating and Without realizing it, you know, I spent time during the day with my grandparents because my mom was in medical school. Mm-hmm. And so I'd watch my grandmom um, and my book is dedicated to her. I'd help her, you know, pick vegetables from the garden, watch her cook meals, sit down and eat meals with them. And I'd go home to my parents later, but I'd also learn things like yoga and meditation from them. Mm-hmm. And we had a large family where many there were many physicians and a couple of Ayurvedic practitioners. I seem to have absorbed that. When I came to Study psychiatry, I felt that just pulling out a prescription pad and offering person a form of therapy, all of which are extremely important and I support fully, not everyone is the same. There is so much more of an emphasis on bio-individuality. There's so much more of an emphasis now on what people need. And what I was learning was that, you know, we were not asking questions, yet we were prescribing medications that had such devastating side effects. Yes. So... A person might need the medication, but you also need to be giving them lifestyle measures to fend off the weight gain, Mm -hmm. to ask them if they're exercising, Mm -hmm. to speak about food. And I began to integrate that part because of a patient challenging me, asking, actually accusing me very early mm. on in my training of causing him to gain weight after I had, in fact, mm. prescribed Prozac for him. Mm-hmm. And I knew from the data in front of me on the computer, I knew that it wasn't me. I knew his baseline weight and all of that. Yeah. But he was drinking this very large cup of coffee. Yeah. And I talk about this in my book. But it was an opening to a discussion with him, which is very powerful. And really was my aha moment in realizing if you provide someone the the information and they understand it, they will act on it. Mm-hmm. Without that knowledge, he was just consuming this 20 ounce mm-hmm. cup of coffee full of sugar yeah. and processed cream mm-hmm. every single day yeah. and not realizing and then thinking that, you know, yes, Prozac may have had a part later on, but he actually ended up losing weight, reaching a healthy goal weight, feeling better emotionally, having a really good therapeutic relationship with me, but also understanding a few nutrition tips mm-hmm. that I learned were very powerful when someone
0: I was curious what you think the efficacy is of using different medications for mental health and how does that look for us right now?
1: You know, I think it's variable. Some people rely on these medications and their conditions are such that they become, have fewer symptoms when they take the medications. But there are also individuals who fall between the categories of the DSM-5, which is the current classification system. In other words, someone might have OCD and anxiety. Someone might have PTSD and depression. You know, as human beings, we don't fall into checklists, Mm -hmm. and that's what DSM-5 is. Unfortunately, in mental health, we don't have Mm -hmm. a tissue diagnosis, a brain biopsy, Mm -hmm. as, as culture, like you do if you going for uh, bronchitis or pneumonia or an infection. I wanted to put that out there just so we understand that there are some limitations. So I think that medications are needed. But for example, a study of anxiety completed in 2015 showed that only 50% of individuals actually benefit from a medication Mm -hmm. and a form of therapy. And there are also about 50% of people who remain sort of suffering and not being able to find a solution. And Mm -hmm. I have seen that clinically. Mm-hmm. So I do feel we need more tools in our toolbox.
0: Now, you're kind of a unicorn because you are a doctor that is heavily like pushing nutrition to heal the brain. And like you said, like sometimes medication is necessary, but there's not a lot of doctors like you out there. Why is that? And do you mind me asking, like, what is the culture around nutrition in medical school? Do you guys even learn about nutrition? Because I think it's really important that people listening to this podcast understand asking your doctor about nutritional advice would be like, doctors are not nutritionists. They're doctors. They understand medication. What is the culture around nutrition?
1: (laughs) Sure. So, And we understand the body, right? So we are mm-hmm. trained over the years of medical school to understand every system of the body, yes. then to understand how infections work, how medications work, all of these things, and then are integrated. But most medical schools globally are not teaching enough nutrition. This mm-hmm. is a well-known fact. It's been written about in research. There's certainly some medical schools that are integrating it better, some of them on the US, but I was not privy to that. So yeah. I had to gain that education elsewhere. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Your doctors are often in a position where they expected to offer an opinion about nutrition. Mm-hmm. But honestly, many will say I just you know, they'll offer something, but if you push them, they'll say, you know, it's not really they'll refer you to the dietician as part of the clinic or the hospital. And getting sometimes getting those consults can be challenging because there's often so many individuals and patients who need them. There is this culture of doctors not knowing enough. In terms of medical care, I think that in functional medicine and in lifestyle medicine, not in psychiatry yet. I am a unicorn in that in that way they are much more open to nutritional interventions as a strategy to help people feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think that I am hoping that I'm opening the eyes of more psychiatrists to start to at least include this as some of the way that they think about their patients. But we're not there yet. This is still nascent. I get a lot of positive feedback from internal medicine doctors, functional medicine doctors, lifestyle medicine, and actually other specialty doctors I haven't gotten negative feedback from psychiatrists, but I don't think the average psychiatrist is doing this
0: evaluation. No, I don't come across them much at all, except I, what's her name? Nicole LaPierre, the holistic psychologist. Mm, she, LaPierre, she mm-hmm. thank you. She talks about nutrition and she also said she's a psychologist. She's not a psychiatrist. She's not a medical doctor like you. But there are some people coming up, but it's just not enough. In your opinion, how important is nutrition in dealing with mental health issues and How do you see it playing moving forward in our mental health crisis? It's
1: become central to that crisis, and and let me explain why. The power of how we feel emotionally but also physically is at the end of our fall. Mm -hmm. Diabetes and Alzheimer's are now being linked. Alzheimer's is being called type 3 diabetes yes, because there's a good understanding that there's a metabolic component to this and that if we change our dietary habits, we can actually reverse some of those the neuroinflammation associated mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's a cure, but you can actually reverse some of the if impact that the gut brain axis might be having. Yes, and it is a well in fact, that there are many physical conditions that you work on a nutritional plan, if you exercise, uh, practice mindfulness, really change up your diet, that you can impact change. People have reversed their type 2 diabetes. People have reversed skin conditions. And a lot of the science is really through understanding more and more the rich science and burgeoning evidence around the gut-brain connection yeah. and that gut microbiome. Right. So I think that if, if a direction we're going in is uncovering more and more of that science yeah. and seeing how we can implement that in different uh, medical and mental health conditions. And if you, you were dive into that a little bit more,
0: yeah. that gut-brain connection, uh, you know, some people are really familiar with it and some people are not, and how you're doing that in your practice. You know, the interesting
1: thing is this is newer science. This is science that has emerged the last decade and a half Mm -hmm. around the connection between the gut and brain. The gut and brain are organs that are far apart in the body but they originate from the same exact cells in the embryo. They divide up to form two organs and then they remain connected throughout life anatomically, biochemically, physiologically through the vagus nerve which is the 10th cranial nerve. Mm -hmm. And the 10th cranial nerve is a loss of biodiversity Chemical messaging between these two organs. So chemical messages from the brain are going to the gut, and vice versa. But I think it's also helpful for people to understand that if they've ever been prescribed or had a friend or family member who's taken a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and SSRI like Crozacozolov after many others, that there's something have gastrointestinal side effects initially and that is because 90% of the serotonin is made in the gut and many many about 90% of the receptors are there so it makes sense that they have those side effects initially Mm -hmm. for the times we're in it's also super important for us to know that about 70% of our immune system is in the gut Just eating in a healthy way, eating healthy whole foods, you know, eating a good balance of nutrients is so important for resetting our gut health. Uh, Most of us, probably because of the standard American diet, walk around with some gut inflammation. And so working towards healing that through our diet is very important.
0: I love that you said most Americans are walking around with some kind of gut inflammation. Every time I do (laughs) polls online, it's always 90%. At least 90% of people have digestive distress. I love how you mentioned on a different podcast that I was listening to that in the embryo, the gut and the brain develop at the same time. But what's even more fascinating to me, how the gut and the brain are so intertwined is researchers actually think that as we were evolving, the gut developed before the brain and the bacteria in the gut actually helped form the neurotransmitters. It's it's really, really cool if you guys want to learn more about it, there's a book called The Gut-Brain Connection. But we had uh, Kiran Krishnan on the podcast earlier Mm -hmm. in January, and he talks about how when moms that are pregnant, the more biodiversity they Mm -hmm. have, the less chance of their kids having ADD or ADHD or some kind of brain imbalance or sensory issues because research is now showing, like you said, in the past 10 years, there's so much cool research between bacteria and brain health, but certain bacteria that are present help the brain to develop better and more efficiently so we are just barely scratching the surface of how important our bacteria is and unfortunately we're kind of coming out of like two decades where doctors just prescribed antibiotics left right and center but they are realizing and doctors are now learning like we need to be a little less liberal with our antibiotic use because with
1: that, so many- yeah, certainly with antibiotics. And I think the, I think it's fascinating because I get asked by parents and, and moms all the time about, you know, what about our children's health? And it really, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. It starts starts very early on. It does. And uh, Kieran is absolutely right. And then I also want to present this as a hopeful message because yes. here's the thing about nutrition. We can, the brain, there's neuroplasticity. So yes. compared to a uh, few decades ago when we thought the brain couldn't change and that was it, we're set for life where brain can change. Mm-hmm. And because we now understand neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity, we can also say that how we eat, and it's been shown, can impact our emotional health, our physical health. So if, you, if you're a mom, if you have a child, if you're pregnant, you know, it is possible to adapt yes. to what we're doing. Yes. We are human, we can make those decisions, the power is at the end of our form, and food is medicine. So I we can that. use all of that to help improve what's going on. This is not a judgmental blaming model. I just think we need to all take a step back and figure out what we can do best for our families, our kids, whatever stage of life you're in. Maybe you have an older parent. Maybe you have older aunts and uncles or people in your community. Maybe you have younger ones or you're pregnant. Whatever it is, we can make those changes because we're eating meals, right? We're eating several meals a day. So why not do it better? Mm -hmm. Why not tweak things a little bit so that we can optimize our mental health and guess what our physical health will improve too it's been shown
0: real quick i want to go back to the neuroplasticity if that's okay you said this is a hopeful message like like what gina and i preach is the body is designed to heal itself you just have to give it the right tools and those tools being whole foods like you're preaching can you give listeners a realistic timeline though for that neuroplasticity because i have a lot of people say i tried an aip diet for two weeks and nothing and when it comes to neuroplasticity we're We're talking months. I mean, with blood, it's three months. With skin, it's 30 days. With the gut intestine, Mm -hmm. it's three days. But when it comes to nerves and neurotransmitters and like brain health, aren't we talking months, maybe even years? Like, what is your opinion on the timeline of the brain healing itself? (laughs)
1: I feel like it's variable for people because Mm -hmm. we are now really practicing personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. And part of that is the gut microbiome is like a thumbprint for each one of us. Yes, I always say to people, the same healthy food is not healthy for everyone. Yes, Because I've seen in my practice that people have a different response. Mm -hmm. And I can't answer the question about the brain without involving the gut because there is that connection. That's why chapter one in my book is Gut-Brain Romance. Mm -hmm. So we know from research... Proper gut healing takes about 28 days. Mm -hmm. That being said, I have people coming back to see me after a week or calling me up and saying, I'm really starting to feel like I'm working better in the afternoon because my Mm -hmm. brain fog is lifting. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sleeping better. But usually the average is about two weeks to about a month. Mm -hmm. As to the exact change in the brain that's happening, I probably would have to speak to one of my colleagues like Dr. Daniel Mm -hmm. Even and find out what his scans show. Mm -hmm. But I think that what the message being hopeful is that we can actually impact that change. Start now, change out that one habit that you picked up during COVID that you know you maybe it's not doing your body good um, and work it from there. You will actually start to see yourself feel better. And a lot of people actually end up losing weight. That is not the goal of my program, but I also feel like it's important. It makes people feel better. Mm -hmm. So why not?
0: Right. Well, and you're just bringing inflammation down and, you know, weight gain is just a a symptom of inflammation. I have two questions. My first one is what are your top five to 10 foods that are really helpful for brain health? And then my second question, because I've, i you know, in your book and in other podcasts, it's a lot of fruits and vegetables and herbs and whatnot. And I want you to list off a few for our listeners. But my second question is, what are your thoughts around this whole carnivore movement where people are saying fruits and vegetables have oxalates and lectins and they're very inflammatory and you should just eat meat and fat? I know that those are two very big questions, so... I'm going to give the time over to you to just really deep dive into that if you want.
1: Sure. So let's start with fat dieting and with extreme dieting, right? And let's call them very polarized eating plants, mm-hmm. for want of a better word. I think that I've said, you know, on many podcasts and many times that I consider myself diet agnostic. So what I mean by that is when you come in t- to talk with me about your mental well-being, whether or not you have a diagnosis, you want to feel emotionally better. I will work with you to tweak your diet. You may be vegan, you may be carnivore, anything Mm -hmm. in between. I am happy to work with you. It's not for me to judge that, but my role is to tweak that and offer you some healthy solutions within what you're eating. Mm -hmm. I feel that in nutrition science, nutrition science is not funded like big pharma, Mm -hmm. right? Any pharmaceutical trial is billions of dollars. Yes. We do not have that amount of money in nutrition science to do that level of research but a lot of good research has been done. And I feel that when people exclude on a day that I say omega-3 fatty acids are super healthy for your brain, your body they improve anxiety, depression, and they are anti inflammatory, antioxidant. Someone can pull up a paper and say, well, mm-hmm. this review said omega 3s should never mm-hmm. be used.
0: I am so, so glad you mentioned course. that because that is yeah. rampant in our nutrition world right now where there's two right. conflicting sides.
1: And it's about finding the way through that,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
1: Each paper may have some valid point to make. But if someone is not dying as a physician, that's the most important thing that I care about. If I'm making sure that I'm not killing someone Mm -hmm. with something that I'm prescribing or suggesting and food is not a prescription, but it is a suggested treatment plan to improve their mental well-being, unless they have an allergy and intolerance, there is no harm in making some changes in how they're eating. But if they want to argue a point, I will discuss the paper with them or look at it with them. But I'm, Really, not here to say, you know what, this substance in meat is going to kill you, or this substance in a vegetable, you should never eat a nut for that reason. Because here's the thing all of those foods offer nutrients. People who are vegan, whether it's not meant to be an offensive statement, but they might like vitamin B12 because mm-hmm. you tend to get vitamin B12 from meat products. They might want to speak to their doctors, and many people who are, who are vegan might say, you know what, that's not true, I'm perfectly healthy. Good. I'm glad if that's the case, but those are the sort of guidelines we want to offer. So therefore, when it comes to whether it's carnivore or some form of a vegetarian diet, for example, you can steam spinach to reduce the oxalates, right? Um, I actually learned that in culinary school. You can soak nuts. You can soak legumes. If someone cannot tolerate those foods, a lot of good doctors will walk you through a program where they help to slowly reintroduce those foods and help mm-hmm. with your gut healing mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you can never eat a bean or legume right. again or never eat a not seed again right. but all of those actually contain rich fiber extremely important vitamins and nutrients the flax seeds and chia seeds and hemp seeds have short chain omega-3s so we should not be excluding these right. you know i think that People who have problems with certain foods, they need to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Discuss it with their doctor, but then work on a plan. Don't just say, let's throw that out and right. never eat it again. Right. Have a conversation about it. And, you know, find the right nutritionist or dietitian who has a balanced approach to it rather than saying, never eat this again, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes people rely a lot on Instagram influences and in a way that is not helpful to them.
0: Mm-hmm. I I really appreciate that you said that. And it is so bio-individual because I'm a big pusher like you for fruits and vegetables and like high fiber foods, because we know that that feeds the gut biome. We know the gut biome thrives off of fiber. I hope you don't mind if I share this case, but I had someone come in yesterday with like rampant IBS. I typically, as I'm talking with clients, I have someone taking notes on the side. And I was like talking with this person, not recommending vegetables and not recommending this. Like it was a very, very simple thing because, because she can't digest vegetables. And the person who was like taking my notes, her mind was like blowing. And she's like, you never recommend that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, no, you can't because if someone has IBS they can't digest fiber, they have to like heal the leaky gut and then slowly reintroduce those foods again. And so yes, everyone is so bio individual. And like you said, it's important to work with a professional so that you can heal the underlying cause because we really shouldn't have so many food restrictions. And research does show right that the more foods like the more diverse foods you eat, the more diverse your microbiome,
1: the biodiversity of foods is so critical, so important, biodiversity of our microbiome, like you mentioned, with the uh, someone who's pregnant and what they eat and the baby all of that it's important throughout life right
0: right so with like the the diet and the food and everything being so individualized and so personalized are there specific nutrients or specific foods that for Mm. mental health you could say yes you know across the board i would recommend this pretty much in general like are there some recommendations that you could
1: make I definitely can. So let's start with prebiotic foods because most people Mm -hmm. think that they have to take a supplement for that. Mm -hmm. But prebiotic Mm -hmm. foods nurture those gut microbes and they can be found in simple foods, garlic leeks, onions, the, you know, the allium family, Mm -hmm. bananas, oats, jicama, things like that. So, and they're long lists in my book, but the feeding that microbiome becomes important. That's one category. Then fermented foods has been shown in recent research, especially to be extremely helpful to lower inflammation. So adding those into your diet, challenging yourself to add add that different type of flavor, kimchi, miso, some of my favorite, sauerkraut, um, almost every culture has a fermented food. Adding those in. I like to almost build your plate in this way by thinking about foods like that. Then don't ignore spices. Spices are
2: hugely mm. powerful,
1: add those in, turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, rosemary, thyme, Mexican oregano. When you say mm-hmm. powerful, in what way? So, for example, turmeric is an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. It's been noted to actually have changes, it cause changes positively in the brain, uplift mood, and low anxiety. So these are things that are cumulative. If you add a quarter teaspoon of uh, organic turmeric powder with a pinch of black pepper, because mm-hmm. pepperine from black pepper makes the curcumin in turmeric about uh, 2,000% or 20 times more bioavailable to our body, so I'd say why not? Those are the sort of breakdown of the little impacts that using spices can have. And if you add a little bit into your food and different meals that you're having every day, you are building up an accumulative effect of something that is also flavoring your food. So spice is another good one. And then we do go back to those vegetables and fruit because they do form a basis of sort of a healthy diet in terms of fiber. I like to suggest berries. And my caveat around that is that berries are low glycemic. Mm. And a lot of individuals struggling with mental health issues that come into see me have... Have either struggled with weight issues or are on medications which have caused weight gain. Mm-hmm. So it becomes important for me to be careful not to say just eat pineapples and mm, you know mangoes and anything you like because those high glycemic foods they may be able to do in a year,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but they they don't want to lean on that initially. So I'd like to make that caveat. And then the fifth, the fifth, I mean, there are tons of foods, but the fifth big category is omega threes because mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. have been shown to be very powerful in mental health. And I should say that I mentioned vegetables and fruit. I add leafy greens to that because mm-hmm. low leafy greens are rich in folate and low levels of folate are associated with low mood. So that's an easy one to do. Just build your salad or the, your uh, vegetable, your sides of vegetables to make sure you have some greens in there as well.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit about, I love on your website right now, and a big thing for me is the movement like children's mental wellness, right? Because I'm seeing a lot of like 10 year olds and 12 year olds coming in with sleep disturbances. Uh, They can't sleep at night. They have anxiety, they have depression and they're young. Like I'm seeing from eight, 10, 12 And I love that the recommendation, I love smoothies, green smoothies. And one of your recommendations for kids is make a smoothie, like throw the ginger and the like throw turmeric root in that smoothie, throw the berries in there, throw the leafy greens in there, you know, roast and steam or air fry vegetables, and then have like a veggie dip made from like plant-based dips, you know? And so I love that you made those recommendations. Can you talk to listeners a little bit about Child mental wellness right now. Are there red flags that you're seeing? Are statistics getting worse? And what can we do about that? Because it is really, really hard. Culture around children and food scares me. I'll just say that because children are not eating vegetables these days. They have these like gag reflexes. Like if you tell a child to eat a vegetable, they literally will gag. We have stopped training our children how to eat vegetables. Yet it's really important that they go to school and they do their homework and they show up for sports practices. But when it comes to food, there's no boundaries around food or healthy boundaries around food. How do you see this playing in mental wellness in our children in the future?
1: And right so, now. So, I want to mention two resources to your parents listening to this. One, on my Instagram, we've done posts on with infographics on really smart kids, brain foods for kids. Mm-hmm. And we have it in diagrams and then we attach the recipes on my website. Mm-hmm. I also did a blog at Halloween for Giada De Laurentiis' website called uh, her lifestyle website called Giadzi. Mm-hmm. And we had Halloween uh, treats in quotation marks for kids that were all healthy hacks of different. Things that throughout the year, to be honest, you can be making those as the sweets that kids could be eating instead Mm -hmm. of the candy and the ice cream that we lean on. I love that. I just want to mention that because people are always looking for good resources. In terms of, there was a very recent study that showed that the obesity epidemic in children is huge in the country, and I'm very worried about that. So I feel that what COVID did, one of the other things that happened is processed food sales went through the roof. Yeah. And so snacking and then having to have all the family at home became very hard for parents. It, it was a lot to balance. Mm-hmm. And so there was that plus, you know, grocery shelves were empty at certain points and people in this country panicked because that's not something we used to. People stocked up on shelf stable goods, which often are highly processed with highly refined ingredients, uh, colorants, dyes, and the stuff that's really not good for us. So, We need to sort of take a deep breath and take a step back in order to improve childhood obesity in this country because it is intricately and intimately linked to mental health. Mm -hmm. One of the things that happened in COVID is teen mental health worsened and teen suicide heightened. So that is something we have to be paying attention to. And it not only starts in the kitchen, it starts at home. And one of the tips I give parents is, you know, start to meal prep your healthy meals with your kids. Involve them in that Mm -hmm. process. Whether they're helping with the veggies or they're watching you prepare something, involve them in that. If it's safe to take them to the supermarket, depending on the restrictions of where you're at, having them be involved in that process uh, or the farmers market becomes important so they understand sort of what healthy eating is, that you can actually make You know, you can talk about a monster green dip that you can make your hummus, but you can add spinach. Mm -hmm. You can make it with beets and make it a monster purple dip or whatever it is that appeals to your child, you know, that they're into at that time. And when I talk about those carrot sticks or zucchini sticks, air fry them so they still Mm -hmm. have a crunchy snack. But show them that they can have a crunchy snack that doesn't have to come in a bag. Yes. Right? A good thing for parents to know is that, you know, if it has an expiration date, it's not a whole food. Right. You don't see oranges and apples with an expiration date stamp on them, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you are thinking about it that way, we can. it's not that we can avoid processed food, but we can be a little bit careful about them and try to include quick, easy, healthy. And I can promise you less expensive options if you do a few of those things at home and do it with your kids. So... We need to change how our kids are eating, what we are either teaching them, providing to them, yeah. and understand that the fast food world, it's not just that fast food causes us to gain weight. Fast foods restaurants use processed vegetable oils, which are more cost-effective but pro-inflammatory for our bodies. Right. Fast food french fries have potato in them but they also have added sugar to make them hyper palatable so that we always upsize then when we buy a big size we can't put it down because our brain is engineered and those foods are engineered to be hyper palatable and tap into those cravings so there are many issues with trying to step away from those foods and trying to eat more healthier options when we can I believe in an 80-20 rule. It's one of the pillars I teach in nutritional psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Let's try for 80% of
0: the time. 20% of the time, you know, life
1: happens. So if we can be trying for most
0: of that, it's good. I love that. Can you talk to us a little bit about, let's say, parents and people just in general are wanting to make healthier lifestyle changes? You were telling us earlier before we started recording that we need to be wary of these like fad diet, like these things. Can you tell us a little bit more about your concern around that? And what are some tips to help people slowly and gently incorporate more whole foods into their life so that they can feed their microbiome, feed their brain and uh, feel better in general?
1: Firstly, I think the one thing about this is if you are following someone's work, you know, make sure that person is well credentialed and has a good sort of academic record of either doing research or has written on something or shared information. In other words, vet you as the consumer should be vetting the sources of your information. What's the other thing that happens? during COVID is is we were kind of not able to go into the office to see our doctors, so we had to seek a lot of information. But medical information is not Dr. Google MD. Medical Mm -hmm. information is from well-vetted sources and trained professionals. So just be careful about where you're getting your information. It's not always perfect. Secondly, follow healthy whole food principles whole foods do not have an expiration date. Go to the supermarket, focus on getting a lot of veggies and some berries or or fruit that your kids or your family enjoys. Fill up on plant-based fiber-rich foods like the beans, seeds, legumes, and nuts. When you choose your seafood, poultry, or beef, get If you can get better sources of them, that matters. So, if you can tap into regenerative farms, if you can get pastured meats, you know, get a K tree egg and that type of thing when you're consuming those foods. And always remember that, you know, it's not about the calories, it's actually the quality of the food Mm -hmm. and your portions. So, that becomes important. And if you have a lot of veggies in your meals every day, you are taking care of the microbiome, you are eating satiating food, and then you have whatever protein you want. Maybe you're having non-GMO organic soy. Maybe you're having beans, legumes, and chickpeas as your protein. If mm-hmm. you're vegetarian, all of that is fine. Or maybe you're changing it up. There's no food that should be demonized. We, we know the foods we should stay away from. We all know that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's much more about adding in the things that will nourish our gut and our brains.
0: I love that. One of my favorite things that I like to recommend to my clients is, you mentioned this on, is the green smoothies. You know, starting with a green smoothie, I always say like 75% like leafy greens and vegetables and 25% fruit, throw in that ginger, throw in that turmeric, you're getting like full servings of vegetables right there that you can kind of just like drink throughout the day. One other tip I would like to give to people is, like you said, go to the store, get your vegetables, but this is my most favorite tip because it's so easy, is you just... Just one day a week, chop up all your vegetables with like a veggie chopper, put it in a bag and then at dinner time, make whatever you are eating for dinner, but then take a few handfuls of these veggies and saute them and eat that as your side. You know, if you want, put like a veggie based dip on top of it or some kind of sauce, because a lot of the time people say, well, eating healthy takes a lot of time. Making a green smoothie yeah. takes three minutes. Like, How do you make your green smoothie taste good? Because that just the ingredients that you said so- blended sound terrible. <laughs> right, right. So you know this is it's an not something question. I I'd want to sip on all day. Right. But, Gina, I, I need to make you a green smoothie is. when you're back in town. Like I make great yeah. green smoothies. Go ahead, though, Doctor Knighty. So, so
1: a couple of things. I think there are ways to make tasty, but I have a few opinions about smoothies. I think that they're great to encourage kids. To eat their greens, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can put a uh, nut and seed butter in and sweeten mm-hmm. it a little bit. You can use cinnamon to sweeten. You know, you can use a little bit of uh, blueberries, or a little bit of strawberries to sweeten it, and you can use um, avocado creaminess. So there, there are ways to change it up and actually mm. make it tasty. The taste for me as a chef is very important. So I think that's a great question. But I also believe in a few things. We shouldn't depend entirely on smoothies. Right. I think that it's great if it works for you and works for your microbiome. But juicing fruit and vegetables does change the structure and texture of So when you juice those who are putting a ton of fruit in their smoothies, they're getting a very high sugar load in a very quick way into their body Mm -hmm. because it's all juiced. You know, balance it up. Definitely tap into those tricks and those kind of tools, I should say, that you want to use. But I almost want to encourage that diversity, like we talked about biodiversity Change up your meals. I love what you said about mixing, you know, having a bag of chopped veggies because it's kind of changing it up. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a surprise every evening. And you right. can make it easy for yourself. You know, meal prep for a couple of hours on whichever day of the week. Involve your kids in it. Mm-hmm. You know, have them helping, you know, this celery stalks don't have to be chopped exactly the same size. Mm-hmm. Have them help you break it or play with it so that they have a feel for good food and they're learning from the ground up. And then, you know, and that will also encourage them to want to try and do, try more tastes and flavors yeah. and make it interesting. And it's not perfect. I mean, you know, your child may not like green food or, yeah. you know, but, sometimes. Yeah. but those are just some guidelines for people.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time, Dr. Naidu. We really appreciate it. How do people find you? And I know you have your book, again, This Is Your Brain on Food. You also have online courses too. Just let our listeners know how can they get more info from you and what's your Instagram handle and the courses that you provide and the services you provide.
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. I'm at humanaidumd.com. I actually just started running a course this week and we I'm sure given the robust response we've had and interest I have a feeling we might be redoing it late in the year. But depending on when you're listening to this, you might email us and see if you can still register for the course. And that is based on nutritional psychiatry. uh, But it's a much, much deeper dive into my book and more. And my Instagram handle is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. So please subscribe to my newsletter on my website you'll get tips and you'll get my current activities and what I'm up to every single week so uh, it's in one place and it's easy for you to to follow me there
0: awesome thank you so so much this has been such a good conversation and um, before we log off guys listeners if you get a moment please rate and review we would really appreciate that and uh, we'll catch you guys next week Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast.